Well, today is the final Sunday of Advent, a season in which we anticipate and celebrate the birth of a king, the beginning of the greatest story ever told. Not just any king, but the king who overcame the world in order to redeem it. Who was destined to rule before time began. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, speaks of the foolishness of the cross. To those who rely on their own wisdom, the cross is foolish. But to those who believe... Christ crucified is God's wisdom and power. Now, if you're thinking, wait a minute, did I miss something? This sounds more like a Lent sermon than an Advent sermon. Bear with me just a little bit longer. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul asks this question. Where is the wise man? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Where is the wise man? This morning's main characters in our adventure are just that. The wise man or the magi, depending on what translation you use. But they're well-known Advent characters, aren't they? When you think of a nativity scene, you think of baby Jesus sleeping in a manger, in a stable, under a star. Mary on one side, Joseph on the other a sheep on one side, a donkey or a cow on the other, three shepherds outside, three wise men on the other side. That's the Christmas scene that we have always known. So the wise men or magi play a significant role, right? They're the ones who bring the extravagant gifts, the ones who bring the gifts to baby Jesus. Well, their adventure begins in the east, hence the camel that we sometimes get in our nativity scenes. But the magi were considered to be wise men. They were the learned ones. They were trusted advisors to kings. They were proficient in mathematics, astronomy, astrology, dream interpretation, mystical arts, medicine, all sorts of different things. They were considered the wisdom elitists of their day. They are our main characters on our adventure this morning. So without further ado, let us begin our adventure. Our scripture reader for this morning is Aubrey Wessling. So Aubrey, go ahead and make your way to the podium. And if you're able, we ask that you please stand and face the center of the room. We face the center of the room to remind us that Scripture is to be a central part of our lives, and we stand because we believe that this is indeed the authoritative Word of God. So, Aubrey, whenever you are ready, please go ahead and read Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, 
Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and has come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thank you, Aubrey. You may all be seated. A mysterious adventure. The adventure that we're looking at today, in a lot of ways, is just that. Quite mysterious. First of all, it's an adventure that's only recounted in Matthew. Of the two Gospels that share the birth narrative, Matthew is the only one that shares the story of the wise men. And I have to point out a few other details as well, so I'm sorry if I ruin any Christmas songs or other Christmas ideals you may have. That's not my goal. But first off, the men in this story were not kings. Now don't get me wrong, I love the song, We Three Kings, but they were not kings. They were most likely advisors to kings or to powerful leaders in the east, but they weren't kings. Interestingly, though, the only time in the whole Bible that this term that is translated magi is used, the only time that it's used in a positive sense is here in this passage. Every other time that it's used in Scripture, it is used in a negative manner. It's used to describe magicians or sorcerers or astronomers. And it's always used in a negative sense. These characters in every other story are deplored. And commentators use this to demonstrate that this story is not just some nice story that Matthew makes up, that he throws in there, because there's no Jewish writer that would have added these characters to this narrative. He wouldn't have added these characters into the text. And we also know through actual mathematical calculations and based on astronomy and physics today that we can determine there was some sort of astronomical event that took place around the time of Jesus' birth that may very well have been the star that the Magi saw. Now we don't know that for sure and it's not that important to the story but what I want to make sure you understand is that this is not just some fictitious story that Matthew adds in, but that he had a specific reason for including this story in his Christmas narrative. The gospel writers could only include so much in their gospels. They actually tell us that in their gospels. And with the cost of what paper was then and 
with the amount of people who could actually read and write, they only had so much that they could include. So clearly, this is an important story. Now, another detail that we tend to overlook is that it never actually says how many magi or wise men there are. The term is used in the plural, so we know there was more than one. And we know that when they arrive in Jerusalem, they cause some sort of stir. But we don't know how many there actually were. We get the number three just from the number of gifts that are presented to, to Jesus. And if last week Pastor Chuck's mentioning of the possibility it was a cave rather than a stable didn't ruin your nativity scene, I'm sorry to inform you that the text also says the wise men weren't actually at the nativity scene. But it says that they visited Jesus in a house, probably after, well after his birth. If the text that we looked at, the very first verse, says that it all took place after Jesus was born. Now, again, I'm not trying to ruin anyone's nativity scene or Christmas, but I do want to show you the importance of knowing the actual facts of what the story says rather than just what has been added through human tradition. But the question still remains, why is this story part of the Christmas narrative? What's so important about the wise men? Now, during this time period, not just in Jewish communities, but in other communities as well, there were rumors that there was going to be a powerful ruler or leader who came out of the land of Judea. And during this time, King Herod was ruling in the region of Judea. And so this is probably why he was so paranoid and ordered that all of the young boys under two years old be killed after the wise men had told him about the birth of this king of the Jews. So it was quite possibly a well-known event that was going to take place at some point. And the Magi, again, being the intellectuals of their day, would have been aware of this. So when they see this sign, when they see this bright star, they pay attention to the light. And it's really interesting when you think about it because these guys were advisors to kings. They were important people. I'm not quite sure they would have had the vacation time to go chasing stars. But that's exactly what they do. They paid attention to the light. Another important point is that they knew that this ruler was to come out of Judea and that he was supposed to be the king of the Jews. When they get to Jerusalem, that's what they ask. Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? So logically, that's where they go. When they see this star in the western sky, they head to Jerusalem because that's where the Jewish temple is located. That is where the logical place for the Jewish king would be. But the Magi weren't Jewish, which makes this adventure all the more mysterious. Because why then did they care so much to leave their homeland, to go to a foreign land, to not just meet him, but it says to worship him? If he's the king of the Jews, why are non-Jews going to worship him? And it's actually... Again, quite fascinating when we, 
and where I believe that we can start to see why Matthew includes this story. We have these elite wise men who are Gentiles, they're non-Jews, traveling to meet the king of the Jews in order to worship him. That's fascinating. And in its contemporary setting, makes no sense. And so Herod hears this, and now he becomes disturbed. And because Herod suffers from extreme paranoia and jealousy, he gathers together his advisors and he says, I have to know what's happening. I have to know where this king has been born. And this paranoia and jealousy is evident in how Herod treated anyone who he deemed a threat. It didn't matter who they were, even his family. He would have them killed. In fact, when I was in Jerusalem, our guide told us that the two things that Herod the Great was great at was architecture and killing family members. His main focus was to protect his throne and to protect his power. But now the birth of a baby has the attention of King Herod and his advisors. And he finds out that it's written in the prophet Micah, the ruler, that the ruler will come from Bethlehem. So he gathers the wise men and he sends them on to find this child. And so they go on their journey and they follow the star and they find Jesus and says that they were overjoyed. That they bowed down and they worshipped the king of the Jews. And think about this. We have these wise men, these intellectuals, I'm sure plenty wealthy. They bring these extravagant gifts who, who advise kings and leaders who wine and dine with royalty. Now bowing down to a baby and worshiping him. I don't think the importance of that can be overstated. We may ooh and ah over babies, but tell me the last time you heard of someone going and bowing down to worship a baby as a king or a ruler. And it says that they brought him these extravagant gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were kingly gifts. Those weren't gifts that you brought to a stable, that you brought to a baby born to a carpenter and his wife. That's not normal, and that wouldn't have been normal. But we have these non-Jewish elites now bowing down and worshiping a baby who has yet to speak, let alone rule anything. So what is it about this baby? What is it that, about this baby that these men would take this adventure? That they would leave their land to go worship a foreign king? That's indeed a mysterious adventure. But clearly these men anticipated that there was something different about Jesus. That there must be something extraordinary about Jesus. And this brings us back to where we began in 1 Corinthians. Because I think there we can get a glimpse into just what it is. In that passage that we began with, where is the wise man? We read verses 20 and 21, but listen now to verses 22 through 25. It says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. 
But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the, wis- and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Now, Paul is addressing this letter to the church in Corinth, which is located in Greece. So there's this strong Hellenistic or Greek influence in that community. And what's interesting about this passage is that while the Jews were looking for this coming sign of the Messiah, it was the non-Jews who saw the sign, who were looking for wisdom, that then anticipated the importance of this event. Now, the wise men were likely not Greeks, but they were Gentiles. They were non-Jews. They were looking for wisdom. They craved it as intellectuals. And Paul continues as he explains what was preached to both the Jews and the Gentiles. Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. And he continues, but to those whom God has called, both the Jews and Greeks, because the gospel is now no longer just for the Jews, but also the Gentiles. To them, Christ is God's wisdom and power. Jesus, as the Messiah, as the King of the Jews, is the power and wisdom of God sent into this world. Think about what it must have been like for these wise men in the east to see this star. They see this sign and they know that it's important. They know that they can't ignore it. So now they have to go to their advisors, likely kings, and say what? Hey, there's this really bright star over there in the west in the sky and we want to go follow it and check it out because we think there's an important baby underneath it. Matthew wants to show his readers the importance of the fact that Jesus, the king of the Jews, is no longer just that. But that all nations will acknowledge him as Lord. So much so that the wise men now feel compelled to go to Jesus. He demonstrates that here in this story. By giving us this story that Jesus will be acknowledged and worshipped by all. And he also concludes his gospel with the great commission. Telling his disciples to go and bring it to all nations. The wise men choose their adventure to follow this star, to find this baby who's a king, and to bring him lavish gifts. Why? Because they knew that this was no ordinary baby, but the very wisdom of God. In theology, we talk about something called divine revelation, which is how God communicates and reveals himself to us. How he reveals himself to mankind. And there's two 
types of revelation. There's general revelation and there's special revelation. Now, general revelation is how the world works, how we can look at the universe. We can see that it's governed by the sun. We can see how the earth is just the exact right distance away from the sun to sustain life. That's sort of general revelation on a macro scale because it speaks that there must be a creator. But we can look in nature at insects or plants or whatever and we we can see that there must be a creator. That's general revelation. Special revelation is then how we come to understand who God is. Because without special revelation, we can't truly know him. We can't have a relationship with him. And God chooses to reveal himself to us in ways through miracles, dreams, and visions, through the very word of God. And most importantly, through the very word of God sent to this earth as a baby in Jesus Christ. These wise men would have been seen as fools to make this journey. Yet that is exactly what they do. They are so compelled to take this adventure. And we actually see that special revelation again at the end of our passage because it says that they are warned in a dream not to go back to Herod because it would have put Jesus in danger and it probably would have meant a death sentence for them. But Paul tells us, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? So when you, when you think about the adventures, the twists and turns, the ups and downs of your life, where do you turn for wise counsel? Where do you seek your wisdom? Do you just go along with what the world tells you? Who it tells you to be? What it tells you to do? That you only need to pursue your own happiness. Your own self-interest. That the truth is relative and you're free to do whatever you want. To live however you desire. That if you have X, Y, and Z, then you can be happy. And that everything you see on social media is true. That is foolishness. And that leads to a dark and lonely place. When we think about the wisdom of this world, what we see is actually continually dating itself and is never complete. For instance, what we know now about how the human body functions compared to 100 years ago, is far greater. We know so much more now about how the human body works than we did 100 years ago. And with how rapidly we learn now, next year, what we know now will be outdated. You see, we are constantly learning. But that also means that we're constantly conjecturing. You know what I mean by that? That we're constantly conjecturing. We are constantly forming our own opinions and our own 
conclusions on the basis of incomplete information. But when we look at Jesus and we look at his ministry, what we see is that Jesus is the wisdom of God and that he stood in contrast to the wisdom of the world in his age and he does in ours as well. And that his wisdom never changes and never fails. And the mysterious adventure that we are all on in life also has a guiding light that never fades. And it is the wisdom of God made flesh in Jesus Christ who comes as the light of the world. His wisdom never fails. That's a beautiful mystery. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes, This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, that being the gospel, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. When we go in search of wisdom, we should be compelled to turn to the wisdom of God made flesh. To the word of God made flesh, confident that when we rely on him, we, the church, are a light of his wisdom to this world. In this Advent season, the gift of Jesus Christ is far from what we deserve. And yet it's exactly what we receive as a gift, freely given. Not unto ourselves, but in order that we would share it with the world. The church is God's intention for spreading his wisdom. The only wisdom that will never be dated. Eternal through all ages. And always complete in its hope for God's kingdom purposes. We are not the church for ourselves, but for the, our communities and those that we serve. So no matter the adversity no matter the risk, no matter the adventure in life, we are called, just as the wise men are, to pay attention to how God intends to use us and to follow that light all the way to Jesus. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, gracious God, I just give you thanks for this Advent season. We give you thanks for the gift of Jesus, sent humbly as a baby. God, we know that so often we turn from you and don't listen to you, but listen to ourselves or to what everything going on around us is saying and, and who we're supposed to be. But I pray that in this Advent season, 
in the midst of our busyness, you would help us to center ourselves on your word, the word that was made flesh, in order that we might come to understand what this season is really about and what it means for us. May we strive not to get hung up in everything going on, but rather to follow you as you intended in order that we would be the church as you intended to spread the wisdom, spread your wisdom in this world. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Receive this blessing. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, now and forevermore. Amen.